Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast. We try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. This week, we've got a jam-packed episode. First up, we bring back the nominations for Dixon Contest this year, this time with actually a prize attached to them for the first time ever. Uh, we also have the results of the Golden Globes, as well as uh, the DGA and SAG and PGA nominations. Uh, this episode is coming out a little bit later than I expected. Um, we also have the Academy of Death Racers Film Festival happening right now in its second year, and I meet with friend of the show, Adele, one of the co-directors who talks about which of the featured films could potentially show up on your death race. And then, of course, we have an interview with a guest going over the last of the best picture contenders. A lot to get through, so let's hop to it. First up, like I mentioned, we have a contest. Uh, last year, I ran a prediction contest for who would be able to predict the most nominees correctly. Last year, I personally got a 77 correct. Um, now, Gold Derby ended up getting 89 correct, uh, which is also the highest score of any one individual when I did this last year. Uh, the average score was about 79.7, median 82, so out of 45 total entrants. Now, the same rules for this year's contest will apply. One point per correct prediction for a total possible of 120 points. Tiebreakers will be determined by whoever submitted first. Uh, the earlier entry with the most correct answer will be the winner. Uh, you can resubmit your entry, but the later entry will overwrite your first one and thus rewrite your timestamp, so only do so if you're really confident you have it correct. Uh, one entry per person, the form closes when Oscar uh, announcements uh, start on January 24th. Now, as I mentioned, unlike last year, which was more or less for sits and giggles, uh, this year I've decided to actually up the stakes by attaching a prize for first place. Uh, the winner of this contest will receive a $25 US gift card uh, to a movie theater chain of their choice. Uh, if for whatever reason your theater chain of choice does not offer gift cards or that I can buy digitally, or maybe you're living in another country, I'll get you a gift card for a video streaming service of your choice for an equivalent $25 amount. So not a huge prize, but hopefully something to incentivize more people to enter and to to take this seriously. Uh, in addition to doing a prediction contest for your nominations, I have an optional set of questions at the end of the survey where you can put the films you want to be nominated for each category as opposed to the contest which is about what you think will be nominated. Uh, depending on the number of people who actually enter these optional set of questions, we can hopefully get a breakdown of the community's opinion and how it differs from the academies. Now, notably, you do not need to do this optional survey if you want to enter the, the contest, but, if, it's, but it's, uh, if you want to do it, go for it. So yeah, good luck to everyone who is entering the contest. Hopefully, uh, this past couple of episodes have been helpful for you in figuring out you know, the best picture contenders. Uh, and of course, next episode, we're going to have a friend of the show, Dakota, from Zoom Pod on to give our takes on who we think will be nominated. Now, next up, we have a small segment from friend of the show, Adele, who previously appeared last season on the episode where we talked about Netflix contenders like Power of the Dog, Don't Look Up, and Tick, Tick, Boom. Now, while this year she's not on to talk about Best Picture contenders, uh, like last year, she is one of the co-directors of the Academy of Death Racers Film Festival, uh, which is going on right now. And this time, we have her on to talk a little bit about the second annual iteration happening right now through January 22nd. Uh, notably, five of the sword films featured in this year's lineup actually are part of the official Oscar shortlist. So if you're looking to make some headway on the death phase before nomination day, this is your chance to catch those films. But I'll let Adele talk a little bit about which ones those are and how you can find and get access to all of these films. All right. And joining me to talk about the Academy of Death Racers Film Festival is one of the uh, administrators, coordinators. Uh, what, what, what exactly is your title? But it's Adele uh, from the Academy of Death Racers, who was on last year uh, to talk about uh, talk about a couple of movies. So welcome back, Adele, to the podcast. Hello. Um, I believe my official title is 
festival co-director. Okay, festival co-director. That's it. So, um, you know, congrats on having the second iteration of the uh, festival back again. Uh, it's kind of crazy, right? How it's kind of started off. You know, this is just like a thing that we all would do to just you know watch all the Oscar nominees, and then now we're here. We are putting together our own film festival. That's kind of nuts, isn't it? I know it really, it really is. And this year, especially last year, we started in like August, September. So the film festivals were going on, but a lot of them had already found distribution. And we only had about 35 to 40 films to pick from. We didn't really reject that many. This year we had almost over a hundred submissions. So we felt, you know, we had way more uh, possibilities and way more quality content that we scouted throughout the year. Wow, that's that's super impressive. We're really making a name for ourselves, aren't we? We are. Last year, we had one film that submitted to us that was shortlisted for an Oscar uh, takeover. And this year, we have five. We had four that submitted to us um, originally, and then we emailed one uh one more recently after the shortlist came out and asked if they would uh, participate with us. Awesome. So, you know, obviously, you know, this is the Oscars death race and, you know, a big part of the focus of this podcast is trying to, you know, watch all the films that are nominated for the Oscars or die trying. Uh, maybe not the die part, but, you know, it's, it's the so's catchphrase, I have to say it. Um, I mean, sometimes it feels like it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, why don't we talk about those those five films, right? So obviously, these are the films that are just shortlisted. Uh, if you are one of the more intense death racers, you not only do all the nominated films, but also all the long-listed films and, films and maybe films nominated for other award shows. But uh, what are the... So so if you want to get a little bit ahead and, and join that that part of the, the community, um, what are the films that, that did get shortlisted and, uh, and, and that are playing at the AODR Fest? We have four live-action shorts. Uh, Night Ride, uh, The Right Words, Plastic Killer, and Nakam. And we have one animated short film, uh, Passenger. Awesome. Uh, And, you know, like, were those films that, you know, even before you knew they were shortlisted, you knew that they had to be included? As I said before, there were four that submitted to us previously. Uh, uh, Several of us on the committee, uh, me and particularly Mark, looked at a lot of the qualifying film festivals for this year, like, can and Annecy for the animated shorts, uh, Palm Spring, South by Southwest, all those sorts of fests uh, made up these big lists on this giant Excel sheet and emailed them, reached out to them, you know, would you be interested in submitting to our festival? That's how we got most of the shorts this year. And that's how we got uh, the first four. Plastic Killer we reached out to after we noticed um, it was getting a little bit more awards buzz this year. Awesome. So, you know, obviously, you know, uh, just just so, you know, to put it near near to the top. So how can people, you know, get onto the uh, Academy of Death Faces Film Fest? You know, it's, al- it's already started as of this episode going with, I believe it's going through most of the rest of this month, correct? Yes. We and we just started about 24 hours ago, uh, midnight UK time. And we go until the 22nd of January, midnight Pacific time, I believe. So it's actually a little bit more than 17 full days. Awesome. And then uh, as as how does that work, right? So, you know, I know you can go to the website, AODR.net, you know, uh, sign up either for a membership or just for the pass uh, for the film festival. And then is it basically like you has, just have access to watch them whenever you want? Or is it specific timings to watch these? How does that work? So we have basically, if you buy a full film pass, that is five US dollars. And you can watch the films at any time. 
There are some geo-blocking restrictions, but those are listed on each film's page. And you can check those out before you purchase. So if there's something you really have your heart set on and it's not available in your country, you can check that out on the website before uh, committing the money. Uh, we also have the a new feature that we did not have last year where we have four channels running our in-competition films just at all hours. Uh, basically, it's a 24-hour, 24-7 loop. So we have one dedicated to our animated shorts, our documentary shorts, our documentary, or I said documentary, um, our live action shorts, and our LGBT shorts. And you can just log on to that. It basically is like TV. It just, you come into the middle and you can just let it watch. I know some people were saying they get, they log on and they go, oh my God, there's, you know, 50, more than 50 movies. Where do I start? And for some people, this is a good place to, you know, I'm interested in animated films. I'll start with the animated shorts. Awesome. That's actually a really, really dope feature. They say cable is dead. Uh, it's coming back with a vengeance. If you do want to become a member, you can be a member. It's a year-long membership. Any paid level gets you access to the festival. But you do get that throughout the whole year. If you buy any merchandise, um, you do get a slight discount. And then you get free access to the festival. Awesome. You know, definitely support, you know, the the team. I know the team has been working on a, on this for a long time, like year round. So this just like a little bit pull behind the curtains, like who are the people who are working on the on the film festival and you know how like like you know, none of you are like professional, right? Like film festival curators. This is all like out of passion for for it, right? No, uh, we just did it. I mean, we all have other jobs. Uh, there's a cup there's a main core of us, uh, me and Mark mainly worked on helping to scout features and, you know, emailing out to everyone. James and Kathy worked on the social media and Kathy especially helped with the discord and, you know, with community outreach, that sort of thing. Um, Astro's mostly the tech brains behind everything. I know I don't know how to code or do any of that. So, and just in general running the ship, Andy's been helping with uh, editing the trailer Jeff's been helping with some of, uh, is going to be helping with some of their um, interviews and just also outreach, all that sort of thing. But yeah, none of us are professionals. Yeah, I mean, you know, it just, you know, this is this is what the passion for for movies movies brings us. Um, you know, is there is there anything that uh, and any films you'd want to recommend aside from obviously the five that are shortlisted for the Oscars? Are there any you personally, you know, want to want to plug uh, real quick for people to 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 maybe give a watch if they sign up for the for the festival? I do. There's a couple that actually. The, as we recorded this, the BAFTA long lists came out today, and there were a few that I was really pulling for. I was surprised that they didn't make it. Um, I don't know if I should mention any of the ones in um, live action category because I am on the jury for that one. So staying impartial, I'm not going to name drop any of those that are particularly good. But like in animated shorts, um, there was one called Other Half. That was really nice. Uh, hot singles in your area. I fa- I saw that on an online can screening. It's not very long at all, but I just I absolutely loved it. I think it's one of the only things I gave five stars last year. In we have a documentary short about uh, Eartha Kitt having and her fight with Lyndon B. Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson. Um, just discovering a bunch of new audio and compiling that into a short. Um, and then I know a personal favorite among a lot of our viewers is our LGBTQ shorts because that's something a lot of other festivals are specifically lgbt centered 
or they don't really provide a specific space for it. Um, I know one that I personally really, really gunned for um, was I reached out to a bunch of shorts about asexuality because that's something that I don't think it's a lot of airtime. And we had a couple that submitted and one is going to be part of our program. Awesome. Well, you know, thanks for thanks for coming on. It's always great to to have you on. And you know, what what just 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 to pick your brain real quick. What's your thoughts on the death race overall? Like, how's the how's the broader race outside of the uh, out of the sorts festival? Was I guess you've probably been engrossed in for you know the past past couple of weeks, if not months. Uh, but you know, how do you feel about the rest of the race coming up? Any anything this year catch your eye? Um. Yes and no. Like, I feel like I've been surprised on the ones that I've really really liked, like. I did not think I was going to like Babylon at all because it was three hours. It was getting really, really bad reviews. Everybody kept talking about how it was super trashy. And I think, isn't that one of the ones that um, you're going to be talking about later? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll hear uh, mine and, and Whitney Joe's thoughts on, on that uh, in a little bit. Uh, My thoughts are just, I really enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Awesome. Well, you know, again, thanks for thanks for coming on. And, you know, definitely, again, everyone go sign up for the Academy of Death Racers Film Festival. You know, hey, at the very least, you'll be able to watch some films that will probably be nominated or hopefully be nominated uh, for, for one of some of the sorts, which are always some of the hardest categories for us to watch. Uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll be back again next year. I, 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 I feel we probably will now that we've done it twice instead of just once, right? Yes. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks again, Adele, for hopping on. And, uh, you know, good luck with your death race uh, when the nominations come out. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Adele. Uh, once again, you can go to aodr.net and sign up for the $5 pass to access the festival. Or if you want to submit, support it a little bit more financially, you can always purchase a membership to the Academy of Death Racers on the site. Um, links to that will be in the show notes. Now, moving down our agenda for today, yesterday, uh, well, earlier this week, uh, as I uh, record this introduction, we had the Golden Globes award their winners. Now, it may not be the perfect representation of who actually will win at the Oscars, but it still is a precursor that people to pay attention to. So let's run through the winners real quick and see if there are any surprises here. First up, the two motion pictures for drama and musical or comedy. Drama went to Fablemans over Avatar, Elvis, Tar, and Top Gun, which had been lagging, and frankly, Fablemans had been lagging behind a bit in Oscar ranking, so this is a welcome boost for that. Percy would have gone with Tar over Fablemans, but knowing the Globes voter demographics, I'm not surprised. Uh, musical comedy went to Banshees of Inisarin over Babylon, Everything Ever, All at Once, Glass Onion, and Triangle of Sadness. Banshees, I think, is a solid top three contender for Best Picture this year, so not surprising, even though personally, I would have gone for Everything Ever, All at Once, though, since I am running Bansies in my fantasy awards league for, for movies, uh, I'm good with, with, with it winning here. Uh, moving on to best lead performance in drama, Austin Butler in, in Elvis took actor over Brendan Fraser, Hugh Jackman, Bill Nye, and Jeremy Pope. Again, you know his only real competition in the Oscars in this category was Fraser, and given Fraser's uh, awkward history with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, it's not surprising that he went with Elvis instead. Um, lead actress for drama went to Kate Blanchett for Tar, as expected, over Olivia Colman for, Every, for Empire of Light, Viola Davis for Woman King, Anna de Armas for Blonde, and Michelle Williams for Fablemans. Uh, for lead performance in musical comedy, no surprises here. Colin Farrell took it from Banshees of Inisarian over Diego Calver for Babylon, Daniel Craig for Knives Out, and Adam Driver for White Noise, with, and Ralph Fiennes from uh, The Menu. Colin is the only is the front runner for the Oscars, and I think this puts him and Butler in head to head against each other. Uh, he didn't really have any competition that are Oscar uh, serious in this category. Uh, for actress, again, no surprise, goes to Michelle Yeoh, taking it for everything, everyone at once, over uh, Leslie Manville for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Margot Robbie for Babylon, Anya Tal. 
out Taylor Joy for the menu and Emma Thompson for Good Luck Leo Grande. Don't expect to see the other four in Oscar nomination day either, so uh, except possibly Robbie. Um, so an easy win for Michelle Yeoh and definitely well-deserved. Moving to supporting performances, actor went to the expected winner, Kei Hui Kwan in Everything Everywhere, over Brendan Gleeson and Bansies, Bansies Barry Keegan also in Bansies, Brad Pitt in Babylon, and Eddie Redmayne in Goodners. I expect Kwan to sweep award season this season, so again, not surprised. A supporting actress was a bit of a surprise, though. Angela Bassett in well, Black Panther Wakanda Forever took it over Carrie Condon in Bansies, Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere, Dolly DeLeon in Triangle of Sadness, and Carrie Mulligan in Seaset. Now, supporting actress is a messy category, in general with the only safe nomination I think being Carrie Condon but I would have pegged even Jamie Lee Curtis over Angel Bassett for the win here. It's a pretty big pickup for Black Panther as could very well signal a above the line nomination for them come nomination day and best case scenario it somehow sneaks into Best Picture as a 10th film. I think this also puts a dimmer on Dolly DeLeon and Triangle of Sadness' chances for Best Picture. Uh, Best Director went to Spielberg for Fablements over Cameron for Avatar, Daniels for Everything Everywhere, uh, Baz Luhrmann for Elvis, and McDonough from Banshees. Not surprising given he is the frontrunner for the Oscars. Uh, screenplay went to Banshees over Tar, Everything Everywhere, Woman Talking, and Fablements. Hard to say how significant this is given the Oscars will have twice as many nominees. Um, that said, it is win-win over Everything Everywhere, uh, who is the current frontrunner for original screenplay on Gold Derby, and Woman Talking is the lead for Adapted. Uh, score went to Babylon over Banshees, Pinocchio, uh, Woman Talking, and Fablemans. Good sign has technical legs going into nomination day and perhaps a bit of a hit to John Williams, who is the current frontrunner on Gold Derby in this category. Song went to Natu Natu from RRR over Carolina from Where the Crawdads Sing, Xiao Papa from Pinocchio, Hold My Hand from Top Gun, and Lift Me Up from Black Panther. Honestly, good on the Hollywood Foreign Press for recognizing this one, which is such a different song from all the others, and passes to Jeff Rule for actually mattering in the film. This definitely helps its chances to win Oscar night, since it was likely going to be nominated, but was neck and neck with Black Panther's song and the return of Rihanna. Animated went to Pinocchio over Inuo, Marcel de Cell, Puss in Boots, and Turning Red. No big surprise here. And for non-English language film, Argentina 1985 actually took the win overall quite on the Western Front. Close, this isn't leave, and RRR. Bit of an upset, as I would have had said Argentina was the fifth of these to win here. Sir, RRR is the most popular, um, even though it's not nominated for the Oscars. This isn't the Lee has the legacy of its director. All Quiet has been getting buzz from BAFTA Longlist and such over its technical prowess, and Close has had a lot of really strong uh, international film festivals recognition already. So, a bit of a shake-up in that phase, though. It was already in the top five according to Gold Derby. We'll see if this translates to being a little bit more win-competitive over the next few weeks. Now, as I mentioned, we also have the various guild direct the guilds putting out the nominees this year, and these have definitely changed the race in the past couple of days. Uh, for a Screen Actress Guild, so jumping straight into the deep end with supporting actress Angela Bassett got the nomination for Black Panther, as well as Hong Chao for The Whale, Carrie Condon for Banshees, and both Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue for, for Everything Everywhere. Notably, no individual woman talking nominations here, and other hopefuls like Dolly DeLeon, Janelle Monet, and Carrie Mulligan also missed here. Supporting actor, same slate as the Globes with one exception, uh, Quan for Everything Everywhere, Gleason Keegan for Banshees, Redmayne for Good Nurse, which I think is picking up steam personally, and then the difference being Paul Dano got in for Fablements over Brad Pitt for Babylon. Honestly, I think this might be the actual supporting five uh, for actor at the end of the, at the come Oscar day, with Redmayne being kind of like the obligatory veteran actor for the bunch over Pitt. 
Now for actor, the main four runners are here again, Butler, Pharrell, Fraser, and Nighy for Elvis, Bansy's Whale, and Living. Um, the big difference here is that Adam Sandler, of all people, came in with Hustle. I don't think it translates to a nomination on Oscar Day, but it does put a damper on Tom Cruise, who was the presumed fifth nominee. Jackman is also missing, but you know, I, it's not, not great for him, but I think he was already on the way out. I could see this maybe helping Mescal a little bit, since he was never going to get SAG, and I don't think uh, the Oscars are going to go for Adam Sandler. Uh, so, you know, with Cruise kind of out of the way and Jackman not looking good, I think this might open the door for Mescal to swoop in. Actress also had a pretty big snub. Uh, the five we expected, uh, what they expected, um, you know, Blancet Vitar, Yo for Everything Everywhere. Well, the four we got uh, were Blancet Vitar, Yo for Everything Everywhere, Dead Wilder for Till, and Davis for Woman King. However, instead of Michelle Williams for Fablemans, we got Ana de Armas for Blonde. Between this and the Globe nomination, uh, while I'm not confident enough to put Armas in the top five myself personally, I think Williams with Dead Wilder are a little bit more at risk, and uh, we may start need to brace yourself to actually need to watch. Uh, Blonde for the Death Race this year. And then for Ensemble, the equivalent of Best Picture, we have Babylon with no solo nominations, Woman Talking, also no solo, solo nominations, Mansi's Everything Everywhere, and Fablements. The last three, I think, are pretty much locked at this point for Best Picture, uh, but after it underperformed today, I think Woman Talking, even if it got Ensemble, might be a bit of a risk, despite being the adapted screenplay frontrunner. Uh, Babylon at least leans more into its technical side, more so than above-the-line side, so you know this may be a sign that even if it doesn't have an acting nomination, people liked it enough um, to, to, to give it support with its technical nominations. Now, looking at the Producers Guild Awards, we have 10 nominees, uh, Avatar Way of Water, Banshees of Inisherin, Black Panther, Elvis, Everything Everywhere, The Fablemans, Glass Onion, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, and The Whale. Now, the big hisses, misses here were the two major female-directed films, Woman Talking and The Woman King. Um, also, Netflix's international film, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, missed out uh, um, in favor of Glass Onion, uh, who did make it in, so I think you know these are to, to Glass Onion's benefit. Now, The Whale also made it in, which I think solidifies its chances at the 10th spot. Uh, Black Panther getting in over Babylon also helps the former and hurts the latter, though it doesn't kill Babylon's chances entirely. Um, no real surprises on other bubble films. I mean, RRR, Triangle of Sadness, Living or Aftersun likely wouldn't have made it in, uh, and, those, and, and, and you know, if they had, it would have taken up the race, but they didn't. Honestly, I think these 10, plus or minus Black Panther for Babylon or Woman Talking, who is on very thin ice at this point, uh, would probably be my prediction at the moment. Animated side of things, pretty much the same you'd expect. Pinocchio, Marcel Cell, Puss in Boots, uh, and Turning Red with the fifth spot at this time going to Minions Rise of Gru. And I mean, it's not impossible for the Minions to make it in a race with no films on the, well, no films on the cusp, have gotten the ground level support, uh, but we'll see if that ends up being the case. Uh, finally, moving to the Directors Guild Awards, um, you know we have five nominees for for a feature film, which is the main a main award. Um, Todd Field in for Tar, um, da the Daniels for Everything Everywhere, Martin McDonough for Bansies of Inisera, and Steven Spielberg for The Fablelands. All expected. Um, kind of the curveball here was that instead of James Cameron for Avatar or uh, Sarah Polio for Woman Talking, we got. Uh, Joseph Kaczynski for Top Gun Maverick. Now, I don't think Kaczynski is a real serious contender uh, in this in this category uh, for, for the Oscar day, but it does put a damper on the people who really did need the support. Mostly, um, I would say, um, you know, maybe Berger for, for All Quiet, um, you know, Gina Prince-Bythewood for Women Talking, or um, or, or Sarah Poli for, for Women Talking, and, oh, sorry, um, Gina Prince-Bythewood was for The Woman King. Even James Cameron would have appreciated it here. So, you know, they're looking a little little bit sacred. Obviously, you know, it's still, I don't think, going to be Joseph, Joseph Kaczynski, but, you know, this definitely does take up the, 
the director's face a little bit in terms of who that you know those those top four I think are locked in. It's it's really that question of who is number five at this point. Um, as far as you know, for first time theatrical uh, film directors, I don't think any of these will really be a main contender. You know, Alice Diop for Saint Omer, Audrey Dewan for Happening, John Patton Ford for Emily the Criminal, um, Antonella uh, Kusinjanovic for Marina, and Charlotte Wells for Afterson. I mean, the fact that Afterson got in for for a directorial debut maybe helps its case out um, for to get into the fifth spot for for a director, but you know. I, I'd still very long sought for them to actually award the first time director in um in, in for for the director for the director category. So we'll see if that ends up being the case. Um but yeah, a lot of sake up here. Now, obviously, uh one of the things to note before we get into this last part of this conversation is that all of these awards I just went over, the Globes and then the Guild Awards, these happened after I recorded the conversation. So you'll reference us, you know, we recorded this on Monday. Um you'll reference me and our guests talking about, you know, how we basically uh we basically have these predictions um, and how we think that, you know, if they get the Globes or if they get a, a, a Guild nomination, this will shake things up. Uh, obviously, some of the things we predicted did not come true and then some did. So uh, keep that in mind when you uh, before you roast us for our takes on here. Um, now, that being said, moving to that main interview, you know, again, if you've been following the films I've covered so far this year on the podcast, uh, most of those came out earlier in the season. Um, the last, you know, couple that I wanted to talk about um, at the time of recording, um, you know, these films came out in December. They hadn't come out yet when I was recording them in December. But now I've had a chance to see most of these contenders. So um, we'll have uh, Avatar Way of Water, Babylon, and Woman Talking as the main films we talk about on this show. Um, which, you know, I still haven't seen, but, but granted, I haven't seen Woman Talking, but very much want to. Now, to help me with this is somebody uh, who I met on the Discord this year, uh, Whitney Joe, um, who's a very frequently commenter. Um, he, you know, had, you know, again, before a lot of the things that ha- happened in the past couple of days, a lot of really strong takes about s- specific films. Um, you know, where, where most people were saying, saying, you know, it's like a eight film locked and only like maybe one or two spots open. He was saying, you know, there were only six locked and four were open. And, you know, he was, you know, had a lot of films that many of us would say maybe were like in the 12th to 14th spot within like his number eight or so. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Whitney's a great guy. He has a lot of really he's really, really entertaining to, to chat with and has a lot of, you know, really interesting, uh, different perspective than mine, which I think makes for good podcasting. So um, plus, you know, fun fact, apparently he got into death racing by listening to this. show. so, uh, yeah, that was very fun to find out but you know we'll get into uh, my conversation with Whitney um, and all of the takes that we have you know to keep you warm uh, in these winter days um, again keep in mind that we did not we, we we did not know the results of these guild nominations before we do we do so um, in any case uh, let's get into this conversation with Whitney Joe. And so joining me on the podcast is uh, somebody who I haven't had on the show before, but uh, I believe he just joined the Academy of Death Facers Discord in the last year or so, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, last few months. Yeah, so last couple of months. So uh, he's, But he's someone who, who has quickly proven to have some uh, very strong opinions about uh, the Death Race so far. And I figured it'd be a good idea to have him on to you know, provide some contrast to my own perspective. So um, you know him on Discord, and uh, his username is Whitney Joe, but I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, yeah, that is my name. My name is Whitney Joe. Hi, all. I'm a singer, songwriter, producer for hire. If anyone is listening who wants to hire, um, <laughs> but um, I'm from Portland. Hello. Hi. Um, I don't know what else to say. 
right. Well, you know, so first off, you know, so you know, obviously you you make songs and and, and whatnot. So I found you in the creator branch uh, of the of the uh, Academy of Death Faces Discord. But you know, I guess you know, obviously one thing that brings us together, we both do the Death Face. So um, I guess how long have you been a fan of movies and specifically, you know, the Oscar Oscar type of movies? Well, first of all, this is my first year doing the Death Race. Really a big part of why I started that is just because I was going through a rough time during the pandemic, and I needed to force myself outside of the house, (laughs) honestly. And I was like, here's a great way to just do that um, through something that I love, which is film. Um, I've always been a big fan of really media of all type, TV, movies, music, all of it. Yeah, I, I've never been like super particular about liking. These are the Oscar movies that I like, and these are the Marvel movies that I like. And no, I've always just been like, I like them all. All right. So, how did you find out about the Death Race? Because you know, was it something like, have you watched like other, like maybe like all the Best Picture nominees in the previous year, or just something that you kind of like organically found online? It was actually this podcast. Um, I searched an Apple podcast, Oscars Race found Oscar's death race, found out that this was a thing. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Let me go to the Reddit. Let, then I found the Discord, etc." Well, um, I am yeah. flattered that I was actually <laughs> able to turn someone on to the, uh, to the Oscar's death race. So uh, I guess point for me, I guess. Um, yeah, that's kind yeah. of, I, I wasn't expecting that. So I'm kind of flattered. Uh, so, so thank you for that, for that yeah. little, small e- little ego boost. Getting back to it, though. So, you know, what are your tastes? And obviously you, say you like all kinds of films, but, you know, maybe if we were to look at your letterbox or if you were to like, you know, give someone a recommendation for like just your favorite films, just maybe like two or three that you would say are your all timers. Yeah. The Farewell, The Farewell, The Farewell. That's <laughs> Farewell all by Lulu Wang. Yeah, if someone were to come to me and ask me, honestly, what is the piece of art that most justifies the existence of art as a thing in society that we spend money on? It would be the farewell, right? It has something to say about a relationship to the world that makes you think about your relationship to the world and think about that things that are conceptual like that. It is also entertaining. It is also one that makes you feel. It has something to say about you know, your relationship to yourself. Um, it makes you genuinely question yourself. And those are really like the big, like, how do you judge what is a good movie? Those are my things. Like how, how much does it make you think on an artistic level and how much does it make you feel on an entertainment level? Awesome. Yeah. I mean, we are definitely like the, the first year I did the pot, the podcast, definitely like the farewell wasn't, con- it was in contention. Unfortunately did not get nominated for anything. Fell sort of best picture. And sadly, uh, uh, nine, nine never got her supporting actor nomination or actress nomination. So I am still, fun. can I swear? I can swear, right? Yeah, you can swear. Oh, good. Cause, but I am so, let me move away from my mic so I don't break it. Fucking pissed about Nye, about Nye Nye not getting her goddamn supporting actress and Aquafina not getting her actress, Lulu Wang not getting her director, Lulu Wang not getting her screenplay. I'm pissed to this day. Why? Well, uh, we will see if they can redeem themselves this year with the other films. So, you know, the theme for this episode, right, you know, obviously I recorded the last couple of episodes well in advance, um, you know, early December. And so at that time, I didn't really have time uh, to really watch any of these films because a lot of them hadn't come out yet. Um, I was originally going to be out of town and then uh, I got COVID, unfortunately. Um, So I had to cancel my holiday plans, but that did give me time to end up watching some of these films. Uh, Not all of them still, though. So we're going to talk about the films mostly in the 
December uh, that came out. And then, uh, as I mentioned before, Whitney has some very strong opinions about uh, certain films that should be getting into Best Picture that disagree from my own. So we'll have a healthy debate at the end of the episode about some of those. Yeah, I mean, yes, you definitely have some strong opinions that differ from mine is the way I would frame it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, we'll go ahead and get started then uh, into these films. And again, these films, uh, so the films from December we're going to talk about are Woman Talking, Avatar The Way of Water, and Babylon. Um, I haven't seen that Woman Talking, so maybe we won't, we, that won't be as in-depth, maybe not as much spoiler conversation, but we will be uh, in spoiler zone for Avatar and Babylon, so you have been warned. Um, all right, let's go ahead and hop in. I'll also say, you can't really spoil Woman Talking. They tell you what happens in the title. Fair enough. People, Woman Talking. So speaking of, uh, Woman Talking uh, is based on a 2018 novel of the same name inspired by real-life events at the ultra-conservative Mennonite community in Bolivia. It is directed and written and written and directed by Sarah Poli and stars Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Judith Ivey, Ben Wishaw, and Francis McDormand, and notably a score by Hilda Guanadortier. Um, according to Gold Derby, as of the recording of this episode, it is currently 8th for Best Picture, 6th for Director for Poli, 3rd for Supporting Actress for Jesse Buckley, and 8th for Claire Foy, 7th for Ben Wishaw for Supporting Actor, 1st for Adapted Screenplay, and 3rd for Score. Woman Talking debuted at the Telluride International Film Festival before having its limited release December 23rd. Uh, and I believe it came, uh, it's coming uh, wide, I believe, the 20th. Um, so, you know, United uh, Artists, yeah, uh, will, will release it January 20th this month. It is named. It was named to both National Board of Review and American Film Institute's Top 10 Films of the Year, as well as the People's Choice Award run-up at T- Toronto International Film Festival. Currently has an 80 on Metacritic, 90% for critics, 90 on audience on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.9 on Letter box out of 5.4 thousand reviews so Whitney I know you saw this maybe like yesterday or the day before yeah yesterday night so you know I know you had a lot of good things to say about the film again I haven't seen it myself um, but you know I, from what I've seen in the conversation of the race it started off really really strong and kind of support for it seems to have disappeared over the past couple of weeks so um, as someone who ju- has a twice on their mind what do you think of a woman talking five stars first of all but I give five stars to more movies than most people so (laughs) i'm a little more liberal with my ratings on there i did not think that anything was going to be able to take michelle Yeoh out of my first place for my personal best actress rankings not my predictions but then rooney mara came along and oh my god what she provides to that role which is not i don't is given the greatest character of the year, but what she does with her character is incredible. And she's moved into my first place. Uh, there, obviously, nowhere near the actual best actress like nominations anywhere, unfortunately, but um, that's my opinion. Um, I think the entire cast was absurdly good. Every year, there's between 10 to 12 things that piss me off in an a genuinely extreme way. The fact that Sheila McCarthy, who probably delivers the best performance in the film, is not above the line and therefore not part of the ensemble that will be nominated at SAG, I am infuriated. She's so good. Sheila McCarthy. Remember that name. If you don't know her, know her. It sounds like this film has like, you know, a very, there's just so much good stuff in it that it kind of, maybe just like it overs everything is fighting for attention perhaps. And then it just, that, that kind of causes nothing to really stand out. Yes and no. I think also 
I think one thing that also holding it back though, I, I think the primary cause is, you know, it, it is a movie about the aftermath of serialized rape, right? And so I think it is um, being pushed back to the bottom of the pile for a lot of screeners. I think people are maybe saving it for last. I think something similar is happening for Till. I think when people actually start watching it, and there is a chance for it to have a last-minute resurgence and then get a lot of uh, recency bias, even though it came out not last, but um, or even though it started screening earlier in the year. I think it's going to be one of the last films that a lot of people watch. So there's a chance for it to have like a, a small uptick at the end, I think. All right. Uh, and then is anything I know you mentioned, you know, before the podcast, you mentioned that, uh, um, you know, that I, I had said in the chat in the discord that, you know, I, I just saw Babylon and I love just um, the her to score on Babylon best of the year for me. And then you're like, oh, wait till you hear a woman talking score. So what, what, what would you say about that? Because I know one of the two also did Tar score, right, which is ineligible. Um, but what do you think? How, how did she do in a uh, woman talking say compared to how she did in Tar? Hilder does some incredible work i'm not gonna say her last name you can't make me but um, Fair i'm not gonna make you don't uh, worry. yeah uh she, what she does with theme and what she does with instrumentation is really innovative very evocative it's almost a character in and of itself it's very it's very strong i also want to give a shout out to the cinematography because it's been a major conversation on the internet that maybe it's overly desaturated. It's really not. And then last question, I think, um, you know, Sarah Poli, right, is obviously kind of contending for uh, fifth or fifth place for, for at least according to the Gold Derby, right? Um, I know you have your thoughts on, on Cameron getting in, getting into director, I think. But uh, how do you think Sarah Poli does as a, as a director, right? Does she, do you think she maybe get, she gets into, into the top five for, for Oscar nomination day? Or, or is it a tough, crowd, a tough, tough category to get into? I think it's possible. I think we talk a lot about supporting actress as the biggest confusion category. We talk a little bit about score. I don't think director gets enough credit as one of the most chaotic categories of the year. There's about like 15 names that if they got in, I wouldn't be shocked by. Um, And Sarah Polly is definitely one of them. I think she's kind of in the middle of the pack. I think something she has going for her is she's going to have a lot of number ones on her ballot, on the ballot, which is um, going to be a good boost for her, even if she's not on the most ballots. Um, I do think this is actually, this might be controversial, but I think this is uh, surprisingly more of a directorial showcase than a, than a writing showcase, but because adapted screenplay as a category is so much weaker than the director category. Um, it's become very easy to just be like, well, we'll award her here, critically. I don't think that the individual branches of the Academy vote like that, but at least in critic circles, that's what's been going on. Fair enough. That that makes sense. So you, so at the end of the day, right, how many how many nominations do you think this one gets You know, at the end of the day? Just, just putting a number out there, right? I mean, as of right now, if it were to be at Gold Derby, would say two above the line, right, for supporting actress and adapted screenplay, and then um, and then one below the line for score. Um, you know, maybe Sarah Poli gets in there, can maybe get up to three above the lines if she's able to beat Cameron according to Gold Derby. Um, but you know, other than that, how what do you think that that comes out to? I have them getting a picture, director, 
supporting actor score and adapted screenplay supporting actress also or no um no i think the thing with supporting actress is in a vacuum that would be the category where it's strongest but we're not in a vacuum and that's the most competitive category it should be judith ivy and sheila mccarthy in the mix um though not and that's not to shade jesse buckley or claire foy just you know judith ivy and sheila mccarthy give um two of the best supporting actress uh performances of the year they've clearly settled on two right jesse buckley and claire foy as the two that go around and campaign claire foy maybe does a little more campaigning than jesse buckley some people say it's either one or the other i think it's both or neither i really do because i think the people who love this movie are going to put both in the people who hate this movie are going to put neither in one thing that I think may be in Jesse Buckley's favor is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I'm pulling up some other notes that I have, but if I'm not mistaken, I think the supporting actress category, you know, other than Jesse Buckley, according to the Gold Derby, I believe would be mostly newcomers uh, just to being nominated for the Oscars at all, right? And so, you know, historically, I don't think the Oscars really have had a lot of, um, you know, completely newcomer categories for acting. So I think that might be in Jesse Buckley's favor that, you know, maybe she would be like, a quote, quote unquote token veteran to keep it from being all new people. Yes. Um, Angela Bassett is also in the mix oh, there. Sure. Angela Bassett, uh, yeah. And uh, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, the big thing that's caused a lot of people to assume that it's going to be Jesse Buckley over Claire Foy. And I think that's why Critics' Choice decided to predict that because I don't call them nominations, I call them predictions. Yeah, I mean, the reality is this category, just take a 20 sided die and roll it five times and that'll help you and that and that'll be better for than any actual attempt to understand this category yeah except for carrie condon probably probably so then all right so that sounds good then again i don't i haven't seen women talking so i can't really add too much to this conversation um what i can add a little bit more to this conversation for uh is babylon so this is the epic three-hour uh, comedy drama written and directed by La La Land director Damien Chazelle. Uh, this other, this three-hour film focuses on the period of Hollywood of the late 1920s as movies transition from silent films to talkies and features an ensemble cast of Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Diego Calva, John Smart, uh, Hoven Adepo, and then Lee Jun Lee. Um, also features cinematography by Lena Sandgren, editing by Tom Cross, and score by Justin Hurwitz, all longtime Chazelle collaborators. Um, going off of Gold Derby, it is currently ninth for Best Picture, 6th for Best Actress for Margot Robbie, 6th for Supporting Actor for Brad Pitt, 7th for Original Screenplay, 4th for Cinematography, 3rd for Costume Design, 6th for Editing, 4th for Hair and Makeup, 2nd for Production Design, 3rd for Score, and 5th for Sound. So this would be something like, you know, maybe no above-the-line nominations, but maybe something like 3 to 4, even 5 below-the-line nominations. This is definitely a very technical, uh, heavy film, almost like Mank was in past years. Uh, Paramount released Babylon uh, the week after Avatar did uh, on the 23rd to, frankly, a bit of a financial flop. It made only $4.9 million for the Christmas weekend against its budget of $110 million and a reported $250 million break-even point. So, unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to break even. Um, part of this is due to the poor initial audience reception with a C-plus cinema score, very divisive, uh, 60 Metacritic, 55% critics, and a 50% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Though that said, uh, it has 
has a 3.8 letterbox score from 32,000 reviews and as of recording has been nominated for five different Golden Globe categories, including Best Musical or Comedy, which we'll know how that does by the time this episode comes out. So, you know, I'm going to take the lead on Babylon because I have a lot to say about Babylon. Um, I literally saw this yesterday, um, you know, and, 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 you know, in, in the AMC theater, got my birthday popcorn, my large soda, and, and then, you know, plowed through that all over the course of the three-hour film. And frankly, I really enjoyed it. I think this is my first movie of the year, five out of five. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of, you know, maybe uh, – so we say explicit content uh, going on in here, um, particularly I believe in like the first five minutes, uh, elephant elephant sphincter. Um, that that all being said, right? I think in my mind this is a better ode to movies than what Fablements did from Spielberg, right? Um, I think, and and for me, I think part of that is. Um, it feels very selfless in its in its appreciation for movies as opposed to Spielberg, which feels a little bit more selfish, right? So if The Fablemans was very much, oh, here I am as a director, here is my perspective on films, how it helped me as an individual and how making films helps me process my, my own family trauma and so on. Babylon feels very much more like a working man, like the, the people who work in the industry, an appreciation for them, right? It's all of the shit, literal shit, you know, elephant shit and otherwise that they go through, all the sacrifices they make, um, sometimes even to the degree of, of maybe masking your identity or needing to mask it. For example, I'm thinking of the scene uh, where, where, where the trumpet, I forget his name off the top of my head, um, has to like cover his face in, uh, in, 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 in charcoal, right, to, to better suit it and he ends up leaving because of that or, you know, all the sacrifices you know um and it's i think part of what i liked most about fablements were the scenes where they were just making movies here it shows you know people again the majority of the film are about people making movies right and then i'm thinking again of the scene where you know um, margot robbie's character you know has trouble adjusting to talking right and the whole technical setup and a guy literally <laughs> dies in the in the hot box of of the camera of the cam of the with the camera i mean these are the little sacrifices and there's just so much joy when they get a single correct take uh which I don't think worked because the guy died and couldn't actually film it. But that all aside, right? Like that's just like, again, the joy of everyone coming together and riffing off of each other, that movie making, I, I, I put, I put this in the, in the chat yesterday, but you know, if, if, uh, if, if, um, if Spielberg's uh, Fablements is uh, the Atlas Shrugged of movies, here I am, the great man director, the great director of movies, and and I make great movies. This is, um, you know, uh, Babylon is Das Kapital from Karl Marx. Um, we are all the working man rising up to make this movie together. And also at the very end, right, it shows that sort of all of the people in the audience coming in and enjoying the films. And, this, and you know, again, the idea of, you're going to die. You're going to be a cog in a machine. You don't really matter as an individual, but as part of this greater whole, you add something to this great uh, history of, of film, basically. I think that, for me, is the love letter to Hollywood that Babylon is, which, you know, it does show the CD, the, the, the nitty-gritty, the unpleasant side of that as well, but that's the reality of the industry. So I think, for me, it's a very honest and very and a very... A selfless take on the industry. Anyway, that's my ramble on why I love, love Babylon so much. Uh, what did you think, Whitney? So let me start with where we agree, which is that this is one of the best movies of the year. I would say my personal either second or third place film. I need to think about that more after everything everywhere. I think the only other thing we agree on this season. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, look, if I had my way, this would be getting the most Oscar nominations day of the ceremony. I don't think that's happening. 
Um, but, you know, we'll talk about that in a sec. Okay, where we disagree on this film is, is it a love letter to cinema? I don't think so. I think it's a movie about movies. I don't think it kind of feel like it's a bit... I think Damien Chazelle said this better than I could, which is that it's a hate letter to cinema. Really an examination of all the trauma that Hollywood puts people through. It's very effective at doing that. The one thing that I don't love about this movie is that I feel like the ending of it kind of betrays that a little bit. The ending, which includes like a clip from Avatar and all that, it's... <laughs> yeah, that's a little a little self-indulgent, I think, in in, in the in that final yeah. montage, maybe. But I, I okay, maybe maybe walking my my exuberant joy for it back a little bit. Um, I will. I, I can see where okay, it's a hate letter to Hollywood, but it's a love letter to movies. Um, that's a great distinction. I like that. Yeah, so I, it's about like movies and like what movies can do. Again, that final scene of like just the audience just like reacting to the movies and how you know, and, and there's all of this story history behind these movies, right? Like it's in the, I think it's the appreciation of the people who make Hollywood, of, of who make Hollywood, not so much the Hollywood system, perhaps. Yes, I think that's a much better way of saying what I was trying to say. Um, I also think the performances from like the tertiary cast and then also Diego Calva. Who, Diego Calva, if you're listening, my Twitter DMs are extraordinarily open at that one Gaysian, T H A T G A Y S I A N. But um, Lee Jun Lee in this movie. Um, I think my letterboxed review afterwards, quote ish, quote ish, uh, you're telling me there's a, a Gaysian walking around Hollywood going from party to party. Picking out the most attractive person in the room, making out with them, and getting paid for it. And it's not me. This is an injustice. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think elaborating on that, I think Margot Robbie, she's fine, right? I don't think, I don't, I, after seeing it, I don't think she gets into the final five, right? Um, she's Harley Quinn. She's doing Harley Quinn. But that's, you know, I, I was saying yesterday, way. right? Like, I think she is really good she's she's viewing her career just zooming out for a little bit is viewing dangerously close to the rock territory where they play the same character in every movie and again i can't i okay granted i haven't seen amsterdam so i can't say how she does in amsterdam but i mean thinking about her biggest profile films that we've seen so far you know harley quinn this one it's just like the the manic pixie the yeah the manic pixie badass basically Bombshell, I think, was like a better display of her dramatic, you know, chops than than this one was. I think if she could, you know, have a little bit more of a dramatic, dramatic, serious role, right, as opposed to you know, wild party girl, right, um, who's like who's kind of manic and out of control. Um, I think that could that could definitely really be the run for her. I think. I think how you feel about Margot Robbie has a lot to do with how you frame her performance in the movie overall. I think she gives the best slapstick comedy performance of the year. I mean, yes, she does vomit on the guy. <laughs> yeah. From that lens, I, I would I think she's incredible. If I were to judge it solely on the dramatic chops, it she is completely fine. I don't know if I would say she's in danger of becoming the rock because she's more open to doing a wider variety of film. Um, she's not just doing action blockbusters like The Rock. Fair. I think, and then also, I can't imagine that Barbie is going to be anything like 
We'll have to see how Barbie does. I, I can't I can't say again. This is all without having seen Barbie, which as uh, as of the again as of last week's episode is the most anticipated film from the Academy of Death Racer. So uh, we'll definitely hopefully hopefully see him deliver there. But it, you you were correct. I, I basically saw her as Harley Quinn in this movie, and it's like. What I will say, though, I like that she's found something that she's very good at, which is, you know, you've heard of a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. This is a Manic Pixie Nightmare Girl. That's really, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. really where she's at her best. And I like seeing actors at their best. So, you know, I'm not mad at it. Fair enough. Uh, as far as, you know, the other kind of like big profile name on this film, Brad Pitt, right? I mean, I saw one letterbox review that there was a, this was an interesting, uh, almost like, like Tom Cruise, a meditation on his career to some degree, um, which I think, you know, if you look at it that way, it kind of makes sense, right? Um, I, I I think, you know, he's he's serviceable, right? He does a good job. He has like kind of this, he, he sows a character arc in melancholy over time, right? Um, and, you know, he he's really good at acting as, a, as an actor who can pull it together when he needs to, right? Um, I don't know. I think, it's serviceable enough. I wouldn't again. Similar situation to to what we talked about with Jesse Buckley. The as it as it stands, the uh, supporting actor category would be almost all new pe- newcomers. So he's kind of like one of the potential veterans to kind of keep it from being all newcomers. But we'll see. There are some others as well who could potentially uh, fill that role as well. Mark Rylance or or Eddie Redmayne, for example. But we'll see. Uh, Judd Hirsch as well. Um, I, I will say on that on that like general category thing. I think the pattern of, uh, you know, Oscars usually almost always has a uh, previous nominee in the mix for the actor and supporting actor races. That really tells you more about the fact that they value legacy more than they value people they've already awarded. So I think Brandon Gleeson and Colin Farrell and Bill Nye, even though these aren't previous nominees, they're people who still fill that legacy role. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I think Brad Pitt, I agree. Brad Pitt is um, solid. Solid B-plus performance. If he gets in, I won't be mad. If he doesn't get in, I won't be mad. It's, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, as far as, you know, all the technical categories, I don't think we'll, we'll go through each individual one. Again, aside from me saying that, uh, you know, again, from what I've seen from the last year, Justin Horwitz's score uh, is one of my favorite. It might be just the genre of music, that kind of that big band, jazzy uh, kind of background music is just something I'm really into for, for films. But uh, I mean, honestly, right, like I would say... You know, screenplay, yeah, it's, it's okay. It, it, it's okay. Cinematography was great. There were so many, like, amazing one-shots or pseudo-one-shots throughout the film, like during the party sequences, for example, or following Brad Pitt's character up the stairs before he goes to his hotel room toward the end, or, you know, th- those were amazing. Um, editing, for example, that, that first day when both um, Manny and and, um, and and Margot Robbie's character are on their respective movie sets, kind of like cutting in between them and then kind of the editing behind those was really, you know, dynamic and interesting for me. Um, I mean, hair and makeup production are obviously, I think, Suen's for this category, and then um, I think sound sound is is really well done as well. I could see it maybe missing sound, but I mean, I, I would also be not very surprised if it make it made it in. So I think you'll get at least four technical nominations, possibly even more. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I know you have your opinions on that, but you know, based off of Gold Derby, I, I would not be surprised if these Gold Derby rankings hold. I think Gold Derby will be a more valuable resource in a few weeks because, you know, I know for a lot of people who are very much into the death race, we're constantly watching 
the Oscars, like the Oscar season all year round. And we're like, but it's the middle of the season. For a lot of people, the season starts tomorrow with the Golden Globes. And we're going to start seeing people update their predictions and we'll have a more accurate reading on the race from Gold Derby, I think, pretty soon. I mean, I will say, right, the fact the fact that, you know, on Swordless Day, which was like, you know, back in December, right? I mean, Babylon, despite having late screenings, late release, right, poor reviews, still made all of the technical categories that it was. Uh, <coughs> no probably... time to die. <coughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, there's... There was one point in time where I was genuinely considering it getting blanked. I no longer think that that's a particularly reasonable situation to predict. It'll probably end up with somewhere between two to four nominations. Right now, I only have it getting three, costume, makeup, and production design. You know, I know we don't want to go through all of them, but just on score, at least, I think the fact that it contains some pieces from... La La Land is going to end up hurting it. Fair, fair enough. I mean, you probably know better than I do. I just hear the music and the, the, the beeps and the boops. And it's like, ooh, that sounds pretty. I like it. Yes. Um, it has those, the best theme of the year, I will say. Yeah. Though, though speaking of uh, the music brands, uh, it's a crime that My Girl's Pussy was not uh, nominated ah! for that original song. <laughs> yeah. I would love to hear like the if the like if they hire like if they had hired like a pop star to do it over the end credits and then it get and they submit that like what what pop star do you, would you have loved to I hear mean, them hire? That sounds like a Megan Thee Stallions type song or something like yes. that. Yes, <laughs> I want to hear the Megan Thee Stallion remix of this song. All right. uh, any other hot? Any other? Any other favorite parts from this massive three-hour movie? From the forty-minute title drop, you know, after forty minutes, just to like, you know, any anything else that stands out for you in the, in the film? Since we're talking about it, I love this film. The last act, like with, with Toby Maguire's character. Yeah, Toby Maguire was great. It, it, it the film could have ended about like five to ten minutes after we meet him. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I feel like the film could have ended like right around when Brad Pitt, Pitt, Brad Pitt has the conversation with Gene Smart's character, the gossip monger, right? Like, shortly after that, I think would have been like a nice point for the film to end. I think that's like the climax. Right? That's like the end. It's like you're going to be forgotten. You're going to, you know, whatever. You're you're not gonna you're you're going to be you know you're you're on the decline, but you'll live forever. That's like a nice sentiment to kind of end on to some degree to extend for like another number of minutes past that is just like eh. Yeah, I think if Gene Sart had been a more central character throughout the film, I would agree. Because that is the climax for both of those two characters. Diego Calva and Margot Robbie are really the heart and soul of the film. And so I think it is important to end with their storyline. Fair enough. I I feel like the, the whole, like, you know, going to this random underground, you know, you know, crazy dungeon or whatever was a little, a little bit much. So I, I think there could have been another way to get to get them to need to leave town, basically, and, and all that. That didn't involve a, a, a... Tommy McGuire could have realized the money was fake when they gave him the bag. And then that could... And then we could have just cut the whole Dante's Inferno metaphor-like situation, gone straight to the end. 
and been fine. And I think we could have ended with Diego Calva just leaving town. I don't think we needed him coming back. The one last thing, though, that I want to really highlight, you already mentioned it before we move on, though, is um, the the hardest I laughed this entire year, other than a certain line from uh, Sheila McCarthy in Woman Talking, was that goddamn scene where Margot Robbie, hello, college, <laughs> the greatest thing ever. It was a, it was a triumph. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of a different kind of triumph, uh, at least financially, um, we get to our last movie of the year of the of the episode, and you know, frankly, I mean, you know, ba- ba- Babylon didn't do so well at the box office. I suspect it being a three hour film when this other three hour film was also in uh, bo- in the in the theater was a big part of that. Um, Avatar: The Way of Water, the much awaited thirteen year sequel. Uh, to James Cameron's original box office hit. Um, We return to Pandora and the Navi this time for a more aquatic adventure. I mean... I'm not going to bother naming the cast because the cast doesn't really matter or or whatever. It's all all technical. Excuse me. Zoe Saldana is the only good part of this movie. All right. Fair enough. But but she's not getting nominated for anything. So for the Oscars purposes, not relevant. I think she got like one critics mention. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, in any case, I mean, you know, this three, this film, according to the Gold Derby, it currently stands at sixth for best picture, second for cinematography, fifth for editing, third for production design, second for sound, and first, of course, for visual effects. Um, you know, 20th Century Studios released Avatar w- uh, worldwide on December 16th. As of the time of writing, it has made $1.7 billion, uh, probably will hit $2 billion by my estimations. Um, it was named to both the National Board of Review and American Film Institute's Top 10 Films of the Year. Currently has a 67 Metacritic, 78 from critics, 92% on one Tomatoes, and 3.8 on Letterbox off of 281,000 reviews. Now, you know, obviously I had an episode earlier in the year about kind of like former Best Picture winner or Best Picture winners. Um, and, you know, I talked about Titanic there and, you know, with, with John from Red Carpet Rosters. But we also talked a little about, a bit about Avatar, um, you know, just because I had also seen it for the first time in theaters uh, last year. Uh, and you know, I mean, I will say my my brief bit is that you know, I mean, it's it's basically the same film. The 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 screenplay is a little bit better than the first film was, uh, in that they added you know a little bit more dimensionality to the whole family angle for it. But other than that, basically, it's a technical marvel showcase. Not much else. Um, I know, though, as the, again, as the episode has gone on, you've had increasingly hot takes, and we're getting near the end of the episode. So uh, I figured we we and you have some very uh, some some let's not say quite say uh, the bomb beyond insanity. From 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 hot ones uh, takes, but you know, getting up there, maybe like the the, the seventh or sixth or seventh hottest the uh, hottest hot sauce. So, um, what what are your takes on Avatar Way on on water, Whitney? Um, my take is I would like to take it and put it in the trash and burn it. It was a bad movie. Uh, James Cameron owes Zoe Saldana an apology for putting her through that. I mean, she's getting a, she's getting a ridiculous amount of paychecks. So I think that's the apology. I don't think any amount of money is worth that. Actually, that's that's not entirely true. James Cameron, if you're listening, hi. My name is Whitney Joe. I'm a, a composer, singer-songwriter from Portland, Oregon. Available for work for hire. Extremely cheap. I know your films really struggle with budget. So if you need some budget cuts, <laughs> I'm... I'm here, but <laughs> that does not change the fact that, well, if you did hire me, it might tune would change, obviously, but um, <laughs> that's the only way that I would like Avatar Way of Water. Terrible screenplay. 
mediocre visual effects. The sound was great um, and the cinematography was great. And I think in a just world, those would be the two that it gets. I don't think it's getting sound though i actually interesting so so you so i I mean look those three categories you mentioned so obviously i mean whatever you think about the visual effects i think just the narrative around this film taking 13 years to make its visual effects um maybe it's gaslit people into thinking they're good or not right uh your your perspective i mean i will say i think they're better than the first film's visual effects for whatever that's worth and that one visual effects so um i mean again first for visual effects and then you said and then currently on gold derby again the caveat that you have about gold derby maybe not being as useful right now until people update it after the after the globes but uh cinematography and sound are currently you know it's currently definitely within there for those two so um, yeah i mean it's also in sixth place for picture which is absurd i don't even have it in for picture um and that's your hot take (laughs) is that that hot it like it just missed bafta it's not exactly like a critical favorite. It's a sequel. Like, I don't think it's that hot to not have Avatar in your 10. I don't think being on both AFI and MBR and being the weakest of the ones that are on AFI and MBR is necessarily is ever going to be a bad thing. But traditionally, the majority of the films that get on AFI and MBR make the top 10. Uh, the exact number depends a little bit on how you calculate it. Usually, there's a miss. I think Avatar is the miss. Interesting. I have a different film of this. We'll, we'll get on that a little bit later. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like again, this is just going off of the numbers I've accumulated so far. I mean, it's sewn up on most most film critics, you know, top ten of the year so far. Um, it's you know, it's uh again, like you mentioned, like I meant we mentioned the AFI NBR for both of those. And I mean, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like so many people, like. And again, in addition to this podcast, I have a box office podcast, and there was just so much discourse of, on, you know, on leading up to its release that Avatar has no cultural impact. Avatar is like, you know, seen in 2009, and no one really cared about it after afterwards or whatever. And like, I mean, here we are, it's making 1.7 billion, it's probably going to hit 2 billion, right? It's, it's I mean... The, the, the adage is never count on James Cameron. And frankly, I mean, I'm kind of in that position of I don't really want to count out James Cameron. I also forgot to, add, to say, because I forgot to include it, it's number five, it's number five uh, for director currently, um, which I don't know how you think about, what you feel about that. Probably not that great. No. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, no. I mean, he got, no. he got, in, he got into the first. Yes, go ahead. Soapbox. That's what you're here for. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. It's not. It's not happening. Stop it. Go home. Go to bed. If you think... No. I could make a case for it deserving it. I don't think it does, but the direction is one of the elements that I feel slightly better about than the other. I don't think it's making it to the director's five. Um, I mean, firstly, I don't think... He couldn't even make the top eight at BAFTA, and he's not like Spielberg where he usually misses BAFTA. You don't speak like. I mean, to be fair, he he's had what two other films in the last twenty years. Yeah, so there's a sample size is small. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. He's had two last. He's had two other films in the last thirty years. How how many were Oscar nominees? One, both, right? Avatar and Titanic. Oh, I was thinking of Terminator Two for some reason. Um, yeah, okay, but I think both of those were bigger. 
social conversations than Avatar 2. Yeah, I, think I mean, Avatar- it, it, kind of, it kind of suffers, I think, from the same situation that Black Panther 2 is in, right? Where, you know, both Black Panther and Avatar were massive box office hits, you know, massive technical sweeps, right? I think Avatar had an insane number below the line. Uh, Black Panther had like six, I think, below the line nominations plus two wins, right? So, I mean... Both are, and then these, and then this year we have the sequels to both of those coming out, who are admittedly maybe a little bit less of a of a box office hit to some degree, cultural cultural, cultural impact, so to speak. But I mean, I mean, yeah, and, and obviously I think the presence of Top Gun, right? I think dilutes some of the impact that Avatar two would have had, right? If if Top Gun wasn't the thing this year, I think Top Gun definitely or Avatar would definitely fill that big blockbuster technical showcase film. So admittedly, yes, I think that Top Gun kind of steals some of Avatar's thunder. I just, I think that the, 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 I, I still see it, you know, I still see VFX, I still see sound, I still see cinematography, production design probably. So that's at least four that I have it in for at least. Editing is, you know, there's a lot of really strong editing this year, so I'm not going to say necessarily editing. Right? But I still think there were at least four it gets into. And I think that's a recipe for historically a lot of the films that have been nominated in at least three below the line categories, so technical films, do get that guest picture in the end. So that that's, that's a, I think it comes down to a case of how many below the lines you think it gets and whether that that, that translates. I have it at 12. Um, I think it for me it has less to do with how much it gets and how much the other things, how well everybody else does. Um, I think it depends a little bit on if Triangle of Sadness and Living, which are my 10 and 11, um, are able to be real contenders. They're not competitive in as many categories as Avatar, so it's a little bit harder to judge how it's doing. I took it out of sound after the Sound Union nominations. Yeah, I only have it in three. Cinematography, production design, and visual effects. I mean, three was good enough for Nightmare Alley, and Nightmare Alley had, like, no cultural impact last year. Yeah, I mean, I had Nightmare Alley in nine because I think Del Toro is a more effective... Last year, and I think I was the maybe the only person on the, place, on the face of the planet who had Nightmare Alley in their ten. Oh, I did too. Uh, Okay, good. We're the two. Um, <laughs> I think if we get a Nightmare Alley situation, it would probably be Babylon. The issue with it is the similar issue. You know, as you said, it's very similar to Black Panther in the sense that there's a lot of individual elements of the movie that people love, but I don't think people love the film as a whole. Yeah. I mean, the other, so like the other thing that, like, since we're talking about like the big technical films, like I, I did like an analysis historically, and I think the max that there's ever been what I would call like a technical film. So either a film, you know, with fewer than one above the line nomination, but, or fewer than two, so one or zero, but then at least three above the li- below the line nominations, or a film where at least 67% of their, below the line of the total nominations, not including Best Picture, uh, were below the line. So historically, there have only been like three of those films in any given year. Uh, and I also know you have hot takes about Elvis. Um, but I don't think they're hot... that hot. Well, you don't like Elvis. But that that aside, I think Elvis is going to get a lot of technical nominations. Um, now, you want to know my real hot take about Elvis? I have it at number two in Best Picture. Okay, that is a hot take, but um, I mean, in any case, I think, I think, I think, you know, I think again, counting down, right? So we have, you know, uh, we have, um, 
Top Gun Maverick. We have Elvis. Those are kind of already two big technical powerhouses. A third one would be impressive, right? And that could be, like we said, either Babylon, maybe Avatar Way of Water. Um, but getting four would be unprecedented. And then we haven't even talked about All Quiet on the Western Front yet, which is you know starting to really pick up a lot of steam. That would be another technical powerhouse, right? So, I mean, if you're in a world where you think that there are only three technical nominations, two of them already be taken, taken up by... Uh, Top Gun and Elvis, then yeah, I could see where maybe a perspective that Avatar maybe is not the third one that gets in, I think would be maybe not not so hot a take, but but still pretty spicy. Just because like, I don't know, also looking at the studio distribution, I mean, it's Disney, it's 20th Century Fox, this is their big push for the year. And then Babylon's competing with Top Gun Maverick for for Paramount. I want to be clear, I'm not ruling it out. It's in like 6th or 7th place in a lot of my um, individual categories. I just can't justify putting it in the five for a lot of them um you know director score i could really see um for for which one babylon or or oh uh avatar interesting Um, i i i didn't have it in my way at all for score it won hmma i think it got in last time it's one of the better scores of the year um the music branch is going to do what they whatever the fuck they want to do um but uh Roll the dice. You know, truly the day that gold derby opened the score category in i managed to scoop up a bunch of candidates at 100 to 1 and so i can't put it in on my gold derby but i would if i could okay fair enough yeah um i'll also say um i think there was a very short blip of time where avatar came out and it looked like it was going to be like this phenomenon and it's already reached its peak and now it's falling and it's falling a lot quicker and a lot earlier than I think a lot of people thought it would. Like it, it had no reason to do as badly at BAFTA as it did. It had, which I think, by the way, BAFTA is more useful this year than it has in previous year than it was in previous years because they changed the rules so that only members of specific branches can vote for their branches categories for nominations. So the fact that it didn't do so hot over there, I think really hurt it. I think it needed BAFTA more than other big contenders needed BAFTA. So probably the biggest question for Avatar will be whether or not at the DGA later this week, Cameron's able to get into the nominations. Oh, he'll get DGA. He'll, okay. I, if he doesn't get DGA, then like he's off my list of 10. But DGA is a way more populist... Way more populous th- uh, group than uh, the Oscars themselves. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, any other takes on Avatar? You know, just it, not even just Oscar chances, just about the film itself. Also, I think there was ninety minutes in the middle that would have been a great movie. The last thirty minutes and the first hour could have been cut, and I would have been happy. And then for the Oscar, but for the Oscars broadly, though, I think for the actually for the whole series broadly with the Oscars. I kind of feel like this is going to be our Lord of the Rings for the 2020s, like where it just sort of grows over time. And it's the last movie that finally wins the Oscar. I'm going to call it right now. Whenever that, whenever that comes out, uh, the avatar five in 2077, that's going to win the Oscar. But my final take, I wish this movie was directed by Chloe Zhao. Interesting. I can see that. I think she, yeah, I think she would have made a more visually interesting movie and maybe a better script and 
probably would not have used the word bro so much. <laughs> bro. There were more uses of the word bro in this movie than in the movie Bros. <laughs> Uh, I had, I didn't see both, so I can't comment on that. But I will say, I mean, I think one, you know, this is a Disney property. Rather than like turning the turning the MCU into like four different shows a year or five six shows a year and diluting the MCU brand, make an Avatar Pandora TV series, right? And and build out the world to the TV series, and then have a much tighter film as opposed to like these three hour monsters, basically. Um, that's one take that I have. The other is that uh, he is ba- he is definitely ripping off Avatar: The Last Airbender. I mean, if you think of the forest as air, the first four the first one was air. This year's water. I predict next year we're either going to go underground or to the mountains or to the desert. I believe it's actually been confirmed to be fire. Okay, fine, fire. What what what, what are you going to do with fire? Are you going to do the volcano or something? Are you going to do fire of ash. love? I think it's ash. I don't know. Michelle's Yeoh's in, Michelle Yeoh is in it, and that's the only reason I'll watch. Okay. Um, fire. Then we'll end up at Earth with 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 with, with I guess ground, and then apparently the fifth film is going to go back to Earth, basically like our Earth, which is you know I'd be interested to see how 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 he brings together like a post-apocalyptic Blade Runner type you know dystopian nightmare type of type of world. That'd be interesting to see, but that's not for another six years at this point. So who knows? You know what I really want from that movie that goes back to if it's going back to Earth. What I really would love. And I think would actually be very thematically interesting is if they went back to Earth and Earth was normal and Earth was fine. I think that would make all the themes of the film. (laughs) Yeah, but like, you know, like, I think that would make all the themes of the other films actually much stronger about. um, Yeah, I mean, I've had this question of like, how can how can they send these giant spaceships to another planet if you know the if 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 the world is like on the brink of collapse right like i don't think you have the resources for that on on a dying planet anyway all right so those are our takes on the films that you know according to gold derby at least when i initially planned out these episodes were kind of around like the top 12 is uh reigns though there's obviously been a lot of movement in the last couple of weeks to month or so um and we have a lot of hot takes so you know just going through them real quickly the updates so actually like we mentioned a little bit earlier uh all quiet on the western front which is the uh german international submission on netflix um adaptation of the same source material as i believe the 1930 uh oscar winner or some somewhat sometime in the 30s currently 10th for best picture actually done it did pretty well in the baftas um and so it's currently now set it's moving up in director currently number seventh sixth for adapted screenplay fifth for cinematography sixth for makeup third for sound sixth for visual effects so um people are starting to say hey maybe that could get best picture any thoughts on all quiet i, I don't i don't think you i think you didn't say you didn't see it yet but do you think it has a yeah, is it I another? Just, oh i'm so sorry i think we're actually um i might have a scheduling conflict i just have no time to die today <laughs> Fair enough. So you think it, just, you it, it's going to show? It showed up on all the long lists. Great. That's not an insane bar to clear. Show up on the nominations, and we'll talk. Okay. Do you think it might be maybe that quote unquote at this point people are saying it's an obligatory international nominee for like director or or picture? Do you think that's a case or not really? It could. I think he's in. I think Edward Berger is you know in the fifteen. <laughs> for a director it's a it's a long it's a long bunch so you know any small thing could put it could put him over or put him out um i'm not ruling out decision to leave as the international 
Um, if there is one. I, I personally don't think there's going to be one this year. Maybe I, that's me. I could see it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about my thought. Uh, I know we're here. Bit. We're in the hot take section. So give me your hot takes on, on that. Oh, I, I was saying uh, on a later movie that we're talking okay. about. Fair enough. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's possible. I think it's ish- my issue with All Quiet on the Western Front is that its biggest competitions were not technical like players, like Decision to Leave, like Close, St. Omar, um, EO even. So I don't know that it matters that it's on more lists than its other international competitors. So your take is that people are overreacting to the long list uh, success at the Bathos. Yeah, I think snubs are more important than what actually gets in when it comes to long lists. Okay. Uh, then, okay, moving down the list then, we have a Triangle of Sadness, currently number 12 for Best Picture. Um, Cannes, you know, Palme d'Or. Um, currently sixth for uh, supporting actress for Filipina, the first Filipina ever, uh, Dolly de Leon, uh, as well as uh, currently fifth for original screenplay. So it, it is, as it, as, as it stands now, according to the Gold Derby, would be getting it one nomination. Do you think that's enough to get it into the Best Picture? Or do you think it would need both? Or even if it does have both, do you think it's strong enough to get there? I think it needs both. It's either going to get all three or none. We know that this plays better with the international members of the Academy, or or at least with international people. Yeah, I mean, it won the European Film Awards. Yeah, it won European Film Awards. It's doing well with Golden Globes. It it did solid at BAFTA. Actually, it did pretty well at BAFTA. Question is, how does it do with people outside the lowbrow appreciators of the international branch or of the international portions of the academy if it's only appealing to a subset of the international of the international components of the academy then i don't know if it can still make it in because i don't know if the internationals uh, international members of the academy make up a wide enough portion of the academy to get in i think if this were 30% international uh, members rather than 20. I would say no question it gets in. I put it at eight, honestly. But at 20%, I don't know. Do you think, so what do you have it? Do you have it in your 10 or, or, or just outside? Um, I, I have it at 11. I put it, I do still have it in at original screenplay, but I think I'm going to take it out. I just don't know what I would take it out for. Um, if Dolly De Leon wins the Golden Globe, then I'll put it back in. Okay, fair enough. So we'll keep an eye out for that uh, tomorrow as we record this. Um, and then, yeah, so I mean, Triangle of Sadness, you know, I, I believe it was like the second earliest film from everything that's been released this year. Technically, everything ever all at once, I think it's the earliest film that released this year that's that's an Oscar contention. But this is the second one uh, coming out at Cannes, so... Um, and then now we have on to the two, your, your hottest takes of the evening, the, the bomb beyond insanity, um, so to speak, from Hot Ones. We have The Woman King, uh, currently at 13th for Best Picture, 9th for Director, 5th for Actress, 4th for Costume, uh, I believe also 7th for Score. Um, so, you know, this is one where you are very, very different from my opinion on where this is going to end up. Tell me your takes on The Woman King and make them spicy. Okay. Um Well, let me read them off to you, and uh, just as the headline, I have it in for picture uh, at number eight 
I have it in for director at number four. I have it in for actress at number four. I have it in for score at number... I have it at number one because of the thing I mentioned earlier with the all the stuff that I got at 100 to 1. I think if I were to re-rank it, it would probably be at number three after Woman Talking and Banshees. I have... I had it in at Best Song for a very long time until they stopped promoting it for whatever reason. It got Grammy nomination. How how do you... That pisses me off, but... My point is, I... and that, Oh, and I also have it at number seven in supporting actors for not Thusuma Bedu, but Lashana Lynch. Interesting. I've had... I've heard... I've heard no buzz about her whatsoever from any... From she got BAFTA. Okay, fair enough. I I didn't I, I don't have the BAFTAs memorized because uh, those are very long long lists. Uh, I don't either. I just checked before. I just double checked everything before we came on to because yeah, I knew we were enough. talking about um, it. Costume? Um, Did you have the costume? No. Interesting. So that's the that's, uh, that I think is the hot, my hottest take. That is, that about is Woman honestly King. your hottest take. So I mean, which is that it like, gets okay, snubbed. Let's go, the, <laughs> let's go through these one by one, right? So director, I mean, like kind of like the consensus right now is, um, if I'm not mistaken, they are Spielberg, the Daniels, Martin McDonough, Todd Field, and then your your choice of James Cameron or Sarah Polley, right? Um, so I mean, G, like G, like Gina Prince Bythewood is all the way down at nine. What? Above Gina Finspired, you have Edward Berger, as we mentioned, Baz Luhrmann, and then the other two. So, I mean... Well, first of all, I don't think... that I think sometimes we confuse how much of a consensus there is with how much... Which, how confident we are in that consensus. I Does mean, that make sense? Have- if you have the prediction, the number of people predicting a nomination, Spielberg has 6,000, Daniels has 5,600. Right. What I guess what I'm saying is yeah. I totally get that a lot of people are predicting something different than my lineup, which is Spielberg, Daniels, Todd Field, Gina Prince by the Wood. And then I temporarily put Sarah Pauly in because I'm just confused. But um, I'm, I'm definitely going to take her out, though. I feel like. Those may like your the five the four you mentioned may be all like consensus picks, but I don't think there's confidence in the consensus. And if there is, then there shouldn't be because it doesn't like uh, James, you know, James Cameron and Spielberg missed BAFTA. I think McDonough made Globes, but Todd Field didn't. And but Todd Field yeah, is Todd Field missed, I think. Yeah, yeah, but Todd Field is getting more. Generally I mean, from real, critics. I, I will say like the only truly truly safe ones i think are spielberg and the daniels at this point yeah and even they both have asterisks like my feeling is that it's like it, it's a deeply competitive field of 15 where it could be i i think there's two i feel confident in and then i think between todd field sarah Polly, and martin mcdonough only one can make it in and i think it's going to be todd field because those are the three auteurs who are who have been ignored by the academy branch before and then i don't know what to do with the last two slots we talked a little bit about there being an international pick i think the fact that the woman king like takes place um in africa may allow it to be that pick i think the fact that it's a historical epic that's gotten comparisons to gladiator is probably another thing that could help it um i there is this sort of fake internet controversy that was pushed around about yeah, uh, the Dahomey and the slavery. About. Yeah, so I'll what we. I, um, yeah, I might. I, I will say like I think the point that I, I, I have. 
the point that I have, like, kind of like, oh, sorry, go ahead and finish your points. Sorry. All right, I was saying, I think there was a bigger backlash to that controversy because of how obviously they hadn't, the people who were pushing that hadn't seen the movie. Um, so I think there was a pretty big backlash to the backlash, if you will, um, that I think helps the film overall. I think it's a pretty, I feel pretty good about the film among industry people. I also think it's done, it's going to do, it was never going to be a critical success. Well, I mean, um, it is actually, it is one of the higher rated films from, from what I saw on like Rotten Tomatoes. And yeah. Or I mean, among like critics awards is what I mean. Oh, critics awards. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. okay. So like my, my take on this, so again, this is kind of colored by my perspective as being like a box office guy also. Right. I mean, you know, granted, right. Obviously box office isn't the be all end all for Oscar movies, obviously. Right. Like most Oscar movies are not major blockbuster films. This year seems to be an exception, right. With Top Gun, Top Gun and such. But that being said, I have this theory that Oscar films, so they're, they're kind of broken up into two kinds of films. There are films that are not supposed to be super popular, but they become pop, but they get their money back through the awards race and the campaign, right? Yeah, so, on demand you know, if, DVD. If, yeah, if you look, well, if you look historically, right, like they, most blockbuster films will make something like 80 to 90% of the box office in the first six to eight weeks, right? Whereas if you look at an Oscar-winning film, Green Book was the one I, I, I remember pulling this for. It made only 50% of its box office by the time it hit week eight, and it made the other half over the course of the awards season afterwards, right? So that's the case for, you know, I would say Babelman's probably, The Whale, Woman Talking are going to be like those, right? Not going to make a lot of money up front, but over the course of the campaign, hopefully for these studios, they get enough Oscar buzz, people go out, check out the film and so on. For Woman King, it just released so early. It's released in September. It's already made up probably all it's going to make at the box office. I don't think a, uh, well, I don't yeah, think a re-release re now is going to really help it get that much more. And then, frankly, it was a, fa a, a box office failure i mean I, oh. I wouldn't say i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's the biggest flop in terms of say babylon like babylon's a, a pure flop right four and four and a half million dollars against the 110 million dollar budget woman woman talk uh sorry woman king made about 90 million dollars but it would it needed about something something close to like 100 million dollars worldwide to break even so and it's not a not the biggest flop, but it still did not reach profitability purely off of box office. Now it'll probably make money for the studio in the end off of DVD sales, off of video sales, and so on. But I think the films that really do get to box office from success that are considered like to that do get Oscar nominated that are are those that are really above and beyond what was expected of them, right? So everything, ever, all at once. Top Gun. That's why I think Avatar is still really in play to some degree. Obviously, you're never going to have like Avengers Endgame make it, but like Black Panther, for example, falls into this camp as well. So, I mean, again, that's my perspective as a box office guy. Um, I'm going to push back on the idea that um, The Woman King was not a box office success. Uh, first of all, at the very least, the narrative is that it was a box office success. Whether or not it's true, that's like the perception. True. I do come from the very, very wonky technical side of like, yeah, it did not make like two and a half times its production budget or whatever. Yeah. And it, that that's actually my second point. Two and a half times its production budget is our approximation. Do I think that, do we, we don't actually know what the actual marketing budget is is and it wouldn't shock me if it had maybe less than that because 
you know, first of all, it's a movie led by black women, which studios hate to correctly estimate. Um, and then also it's, you know, in the pandemic times, I, it wouldn't shock me to find out that uh, marketing budgets have decreased. Oh no, the the, the that, that's that much from the that's that much from the marketing budget. But I mean the other I mean the other part we will probably know in that like I don't think this is like again this is, I'm not gonna get super super into the details of it, but I I know deadline will probably get some insider information on like how much it actually costs and so on. So we can get those numbers later. I mean as of right now, the best that box office prognosticators can say is that it's not there. But again, yeah. I admittedly I come it, it's from the very, but very either well. way it's at least it's in the area it's a round break even even. territory which is more than most of the field um more than fablemans more than tar more than really anything but i think i think the the, the difference is the perception right it's like if a film is supposed to be the the film is supposed to be like the next black panther right make a stupid amount of money right like if, if it didn't do that it's kind of a failure but just by the relative perception in theory it should be like in theory the narrative should be that it was a box office failure but for whatever reason that narrative has not developed and the opposite one has i think because of the fact that it grossed so much um which is probably more relevant to like as far as box office i think box office is most useful to the oscars as an indicator of what movies they have seen right that's why we think that she's or said also seen also limited releases per theater. Also, for limited releases per theater average, C said uh, being a complete failure on that regard. Right, and uh, you know most of the Academy voters are um, centered around the places where they do the limited releases. The thing with Woman King is it grossed a lot. Like regardless of its budget, it was it's probably one of the few movies that we can feel confident that it's been seen. So I, I don't know that the entire Academy has seen, you know, after Sun. I don't know that the entire Academy is going to watch Living or Triangle of Sadness or, uh, yeah, like, I don't know that that's going to happen for all those other films. And if you buy into the idea, as I think you, most people should, is of uh, the Academy sees less movies than we think they do, that's probably a good boost for The Woman King because it is a player below the line. I don't think it's as much of a player below the line as we think it is, but, um, but anyway, just to get back to the director, which is what we were talking about. Gina Prince by the wood is probably the most effective campaigner besides Daniel Kwan in the director race right now. Um, just from round tables to speeches, she's been really surprising considering how monotone she is. Um, it's surprising how effective of a communicator she is and how, you know, you can see at a round table how much the other directors really treat her with a level of respect that isn't even there for the other directors at the table. That reason, I think she probably has more industry support than we really realize. Um, she did get BAFTA. She did get Critics' Choice. I know those are both longer lists, but, you know, it at least solidifies that she's in the top 10 or so. Okay. What would be the thing to make you take her out, take her out of your top 10? The top five. The other thing that is keeping me in here, that is making me keep her in, is that I just like, as a matter of principle, will not predict a list of five men. Um, just like on principle, I don't, I don't want to. I refuse to, and I'm okay with being wrong about that. So I would need to see Sarah Polly. 
I think they're getting better at that. Um, and I just, I refuse to, I, I just don't want to. So if Sarah Polly were to get, were to show, were to be a lot stronger than I think she is right now, I might take Gina Prince by the wit out. Um, if Maria Schrader pulls a miracle and somehow shows up somewhere, Charlotte Wells, if one of those people or, or one of those women are able to secure a spot in the last moments, I might take her out. Do you think she? Do you think Gina gets a uh, gets DJ this week? I think she's on the bubble. Okay, so if she gets in, I think yeah, if she gets in the DJ. I could see her definitely becoming a a lot more relevant in the conversation. You think if Sarah Polly gets in and she doesn't though, do you think that would that would make you take her out or or not yet? It would make me think. Um, it, it, if she makes BAFTA, and I think she will make BAFTA, the BAFTA six, I think she, the jury will pick her. That will just because of all the things that ha- that were snubbed from that list. I think she's pretty much by default in the six. Um, if she misses BAFTA. That would be the thing that takes me out, I think. Okay, fair enough. Um, moving to the other categories real quickly. I mean, Viola Davis for lead actress. I think having seen uh, Babylon, I think Margot Robbie doesn't get in for 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 that. So I think Viola Davis kind of is just the one with the strongest narrative at this point for for best actress. I mean, who who really could who really can can come in aside from maybe Margot Robbie? Maybe. Olivia Coleman, just because the Academy seems to have a thing from Olivia Coleman, but I can't think of anything. Else. I don't know. Vicky um, Kripes see... or Sods? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I could see Ana de Armas. Um, oh, yeah. People, she... people will be mad for the death race if we have to watch Blonde. People will. Well, I think we're. I think Blonde is getting makeup, so sorry. But, <laughs> but um, you know, she could do, pull a. Was it Glenn Close? win the golden globe and then all of a sudden you're in the mix yeah i have her at four um i dropped michelle williams down to five actually just because i don't think that performance is as universally praised um i think viola davis better i think this is an actor's movie is fundamentally how i'm thinking about this film and viola davis is super popular with the sag yeah i mean she's ever like number three for sag it's she's making it to sag but yeah, she. Uh, I, I, my concern with Viola Davis is I don't think she's a number one getter. I think she's going to show up on a, most of the ballots. I just think she's going to be number five on all the ballots. I mean, frankly, so, number one or number two is going to be Kate Blanchett or Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, I think Danielle Deadweiler will get some number ones. I think Michelle Williams will get some number twos. I don't think she's going to get a lot of number ones. I also think some com- uh, contenders who aren't realistic – are, are going to soak up some number one slots at like, I could see Mia Goss so, uh, soaking up a handful of number ones. Tangway, Vicky Creeps, even um, Margot Robbie could get some number ones. I don't think any of those people are going to make it in, but I think they'll get votes. But I do think Vi- Viola Davis will maybe show up on the most ballots other than Kate Blanchett and Michelle yeah. Yeoh. I mean, okay. So if, if, if you go with the logic that I, I could, maybe be convinced that woman can get and i think for me it entirely depends on Gina prince bythewood getting director because i don't think this film gets in with only one best actress uh nomination and how many how many below the lines did you have for it um i have score i have it at number six in editing i think and i have it at number seven in cinematography 
I think there's a lot of places where it's a bubble contender, but I don't think it's as much of a tech player as we initially thought. Um, costume, I have costume. You don't even have costume. No, I think it's kind of evolved into a consensus costume pick, but I think what people are not realizing is that Gersha Phillips is not a previous Oscar nominee. And this branch is... is very previous. It's, it, 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 so you could get snubbed for someone like uh, Jenny Beaven from Mrs. Harris. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... I think that's in no matter what. Um, I'm, I I would say like living could get that, could snag that fifth costume slot. Yeah, fair enough. So, I mean, below the line doesn't really matter for this film. I think if you can be convinced that Gina Prince-Bathwood is going to be the B in director, this makes more sense to me that it, it's number eight or something, right? Because I think, again, my my basis is looking at looking at historical numbers, most 81% of Oscar nominees post-expansion have had two above the line nominations, right? So I think this makes sense. Now, granted, there is like a 7% or whatever that only have a single uh, above the line nomination and no below the line nominations or very well, few. I, 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 I do think it's getting score. But still, right? You need, normally I would say like a technical player needs at least three, right? So if you get like one above the line and then like two, like maybe two below the lines, that would still like be within that 7% that I'm talking about. So I, for me, this all comes down to whether or not Gina makes it. I do think it could get in with just Viola Davis and Terrence Blanchard. And my reason for saying that is when you look at what are the exceptions, I mean, look at looking at the most extreme examples, Selma, best song, just song and picture. Selma was a movie that people could feel good about themselves by voting for. I think people will feel good about writing down The Woman King because of being able to support a movie led by Black women, um, being able to support what was a box office gross success. Yeah, so I think it's a movie that people feel good about voting for. It also, I believe it's going out on Netflix. I don't know what the date is, but when that happens, I expect it to get another push. Yeah, I mean, the ones that were only one, one was Don't Look Up, one above the line nomination for screenplay, two below the line, which was super popular, even though it wasn't critically that well received. Uh, and then two from 2010 when they first did the expansion. So District 9, one for screenplay, two below the lines, and one for a serious man, a screenplay, and no below the lines. There are two uh, actress-led uh, in this category. One is uh, The Post, uh, Meryl Streep, which I think is kind of a Viola Davis-type situation. And then the other is Blindside, um, which is also an actress um, and with only a single actress nomination above the line. So, I mean, it's it's possible. It's just... I you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a data analyst in my day li- in my day job so like you know numbers the the numbers are, are are a big hurdle for me to overcome that this just needs a second above the line nomination for me to feel comfortable putting it in the ten. Yeah, I mean I don't feel comfortable about most of my best picture predictions. I feel comfortable about six and then the bottom four could go any which way. Well, moving to another one because there are a couple other films I want to like, pick your brain on. The Whale, right? Currently 15th on Best Picture. Um, I mean, everyone knows Brendan Fraser is going to get nominated for Best Actor, basically. Um, it'd be something very, very weird happened if he did not. Well, speaking of hot takes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I, seventh, I have thought about it. Seventh for Supporting Actress uh, for Hong Chao. Um, fourth for Adapted Screenplay. Uh, and then first for makeup, which I think is, you know, given the the, the heavy 600-pound prosthetic suit or whatever, I think is a very easy pick for for costume and make uh, for makeup and hairstyling. Um, I mean, 
as it stands right now, right, I think the biggest question for this one will be, can it hold on to adapted screenplay or not, right? Uh, if it can, then I think uh, it has those, the, it has that path. Now, a lot of people are saying, despite it having two above the lines, right, it might it might be just too divisive, like too low rank, like a 60 on Metacritic or something, that it might not even get it despite that, which, okay, fine. I would, my, my counterpoint would be, give me another film that has two above the lines to counteract this, because I don't think we're going to get more technical nominations, right? So that's kind of like my, by, why, by default, I kind of have the whale um, as 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 my, in my ten maybe, but but you know, um, and then you know supporting actors. I think if Hong Chao can get in, that definitely helps the whale's case, perhaps. But I mean, granted, it would probably be like the tenth film for me. Do you have it at all in your ten, or or is it not even close? I am very unsure of what to do with this movie outside of actor and makeup. There is a deep. There is a portion of people who love this movie. I've seen it at number one on some people's personal, like, critical list. So there's passion there. It'll show up at number one on some ballots, but it's also just not going to get onto a lot of ballots. So I don't know how I feel about it. One of the things I like to do is, after I make my predictions list, like, draft, I'll draft it, and then I'll ask myself, is this stupid enough? And, And, and that is something that makes you think, well, Maybe the whale over like something obvious like woman talking, but I don't. I, I'm not going to predict it, but it, it it's something I'm thinking about. I think I do feel good about it, good-ish about it in adapted screenplay. I think if something drops, it's probably living, not the whale. Supporting actress Hong Chao's in it. Um, this because this category is so diffused. Like, even the people who have no chance to actually get in, like a Kiki Palmer, are still going to get votes. And they're still going to soak up some slots on some ballots. So, you know, you, you, like, how much of the vote do you even really think that you need to get into it? Like, 7%? If you could just show up on 7% of the ballots for a supporting actress and make it in, theoretically. Um, with which is crazy and never seen before. So I think this is probably Hong Chao's strongest chance of all the chances she's had to make it in. Yeah. Uh, anyway, going back, you mentioned uh, Living might be, and so we'll skip down to Living. It's currently at number 18 for Best Picture. Um, I mean, Bill Nye, I think, has kind of coalesced as like the number four actor for for many people, kind of just by the category kind of imploding, imploding with you know Hugh Jackman and the, and the Sun kind of not being a thing anymore, right? Before people actually saw the movie, they're like, "Oh, Hugh Jackman in this in the follow up to the Father, it's going to be a thing." I never had it in, and I feel very, I feel very smug about it. Okay, fair <laughs> smug. But anyway, back to Nia. Do you think do you do you have do you have Nia in your five or or, or I have him actually at number three. Okay, cool. So I he, have him above Brendan Fraser. Interesting. That's a hot take. <laughs> it was less of a hot take like a week or two ago before Brandon Fraser started actually getting a handful of wins. But before that, you know, he, he won LAFCA. So there's passion. I think he could win BAFTA, which would be a game I mean, that makes sense, but he's British, so that, that hardly counts. <laughs> it's not that it doesn't. His big struggle right now is visibility. Yeah, because the so film is, even the film is that, not being distributed yeah. that well. <laughs> winning BAFTA would be actually very useful for it. Um, also, it's Sony Picture Classics with their only actual contender of the year. But um, 
you know, if Bill Nye wins uh, Best Actor at the BAFTA, that's all the publicity he needs to take his slot and just lock him in and then propel himself into the win conversation. Uh, he, he would be beating Colin Farrell, though. The the other main contender then it's it's in for is a adapted screenplay, which like you said is number five, probably gonna get knocked out. Could could get knocked out if anything, right? I mean, adapted screenplay is a very weird category again this year. Um but I mean, you know, with, with, I think it was a white noise kind of like collapsing in on itself, right? Um but I mean, you know, I, I, I would I I mean I could see a world where where, you know, with Bill Nye and Adapted Screenplay, it has a viable path, those two above-the-line nominations I keep going on about, right? Um, it has a path. It's just a matter of, like you said, like the passing and the visibility. The one, according to Gold Derby, that could knock it out is maybe like All Quiet is on the rise, right, for Adapted Screenplay, which you have, you've had your thoughts on that. I would personally love to see a Pinocchio take, take Adapted Screenplay nomination, but that's just me because I love animated films in general. I have Marcel. Um at tenth and Pinocchio not in my ten. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, hot takes galore. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I would have the whale above living, even though both have two above the lines. Even though living is better reviewed, just because the whale is probably a little bit more visible with Brendan Fraser attached to it and all that. But and it has more I number mean, ones. Yeah, but I mean, I could see that I could see living like you know getting in there, you know, with with like you mentioned the Bill Nye visibility campaign basically through the Baptist and whatnot. I also think it's a pretty strong contender in costumes, Sandy Powell. And then okay, so then moving on then to the very last film we're going to talk about, uh, kind of very briefly is After Sun, which again I haven't seen yet, but many people say it's the number one film of the year. Um, and, and it came in number two in the Academy of Death Racers uh, best of 2022 list behind everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, so, I mean, I think this is a case kind of where it needs everything to go right and, and needs other films to fail for it to do well, right? Uh, it needs to get uh, actor, right, for Paul Mescal, right, in the, who's currently number six. He would need to beat out Tom Cruise, uh, according to the Gold Derby. And then it needs to get six at original screenplay, meaning it would need to beat out Triangle of Sadness um, to get those two above-the-line nominations I think it needs. Or in a wild case, I think uh, Charlotte Wells, if you could get a director somehow, which she's way down the list according to Gold Derby. But Well, I think you can be further... It's okay to be further down the list in director because of how wide that category is. So, you know, Charlotte Wells could be a very interesting case as, like, you know, the not five males... Uh, director uh, surprise. I saw some. I think she got the trifecta, I believe, um, or some sort of some sort of statistical anomaly for for the film critics or film critic circles, big film critic circles, or or you know something like that, where she got it all of them. And uh, the last time you saw a director who did not get them was like some stupidly long time ago. Traditionally, I think the statistic is that um, if you win that, then your film overall will get at least one nomination. That's the historical pattern. I'm generally skeptical of of patterns that go across categories, but that's an interesting one. I think it's possible. Uh, she may suffer. I think she suffers from the fact that it's her debut, and this and this category likes experienced people, which um, would favor someone like Gina Prince by the Wood or Sarah Pauly even. Um, maybe Gina Prince by the Wood more so. I also think editing is a possible is a long shot possibility, but I wouldn't say it's out of the question. 
Yeah, it's one of those. It, I think it could get in. I think it it's fighting with living to be the big British push. It's one or I think it's generally one or the other, and I don't know which it's going to be. Um, I think it's I give the edge to living because of Bill Nye. I actually don't have it in ev- anywhere. Actually, I think I have uh, Adam Driver as my number five <laughs> for uh, best actor. I mean, I don't have I don't have Afterson anywhere at, at all either. But I have it on. But I mean, looking at it, could be it is it could very well if the stars align. Paul Mescal gets the actor, um, or and or it gets original screenplay over Triangle of Sadness, and or Charlotte Wells gets uh, director somehow. Two of those three, I think, puts it. Between being like on so many film critics, you know, number one of the year, right, and being on both, uh, I think it's on both. I think it's on one of AFI or NBR's list, right? It's on it's on sights and sound, you know, top film of the list or top film of the year, right? So I mean, it has the love to get there. Uh, it just one hasn't been seen by as many people, uh, and two, I think it's another A twenty four four post, which would be. Crazy for them to try to push everything everywhere and the whale and Aftersun on top of all that, right? But you know, I think it's the least likely. It needs and they the are still pushing to... the inspection for some reason. Yeah, but it needs the most things to go right. But if it does, but if those things do go right, it is going to be a very strong player. Aftersun, I think you know, in this ne- in these next few weeks, we're going to start crossing things off the list. I think Aftersun will always be close to the bottom of the list, but it will never be crossed out until day of. That's how I feel about After Sun. That makes sense. Well, we are nearing two hours on our hot take filled <laughs> conversation, uh, which is fun. This was a good time. I really enjoyed having you on uh, and providing some some counter, counterbalance to my uh, to my to my perspective. So, um, but yeah, any other closing thoughts on either the films that we all that that we both saw, or the films that only you saw, or the films that none of us saw that we just have hot takes about? Uh, probably. i always have too much to say oh i just want to say generally um this has nothing to do with the movies we've talked about but i I keep seeing people be like "Mm, danielle deadweiler might not make it just because she missed the globe and it's like only missed the globe that's the only thing she's missed all year she's still above michelle williams and viola davis both as far as like not no, getting nominations and wins. She's she's missed one thing, and it was a critical prize, and it was a critical prize at the of uh, foreign journalists. So and for a very American film. So chill, people, chill. Yeah, all right, makes sense. Uh, all right. So, are there any other films you've been watching that are maybe not in the death races in general that you want to maybe shout out? Uh, you know, uh, anything you think people should be watching that they might not already be. Fire Island is the only one that's coming to mind as far as things that aren't in the conversation for the Oscars. All right. And then anything coming up either this year or maybe the next couple of months uh, that you're excited for? I mean, obviously, Barbie. Uh, Ryan Gosling was my gay awakening. Ryan Gosling, if you're listening, <laughs> Twitter is at that one Gason. DMs are open. Um, oh, I used to live in New Zealand, fun fact. Um, and so for that reason, I have a completely unearned, uh, emotional connection to Taika Waititi. Um, so next goal wins, even though it's a sports movie, which is not something I traditionally am into, I will be there and will be purchasing a ticket. 
to see. Awesome. So I guess, is there anything you want to plug? You know, you've all mentioned your Twitter a couple of times. Uh, where can people maybe go if they want to maybe book you to make some music for them? Or, you know, if um, if, if they, ha- they want to follow your movie takes uh, on Letterboxd or, or any other social media you want to plug? Yeah. Um, well, if you want to book me, uh, my email is Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y-J-O-E-A-H-N at gmail.com. But um, if you would like to listen to my music, I have a new single called Little Wolf, now streaming on Apple Music, Spotify, and wherever you stream music. Oh, don't follow me on Letterboxd. I have, I don't use it very, you know, no, follow me on Letterboxd because the only reviews I make are jokes. Um, I tried to make a, a real review for Glass Onion, and I realized that wasn't for me. Uh, my letterbox is Whitney Joe. We will link your Twitter, uh, your music email, your single, uh, Spotify page, uh, letterbox, all in the show notes. Uh, Whitney, thanks again uh, for coming on. It's been a pleasure getting to talk to you face to face. And yeah, we'll we'll see how all of our predictions do uh, during uh, the rest of the uh, awards season. Uh, obviously, we're recording this right before Golden Globes and DGA and SAG and WGA know, so and all rude. those other. But I mean. I have, an epi- I have a schedule to keep. I got to put this out sometime, and this is the only time that worked for all of us. You're also a healthcare worker, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I'm a caretaker. All right. Well, wear your masks, wear your gloves, wash your hands, everybody. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for your healthcare work, and thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a great fun. Uh, we're gonna definitely going to talk more as the season goes on. Yes. All right. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Once again, thank you very much, Whitney, for coming onto the podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. Um, and I mean that with all sincerity, honestly. Um, it was great fun talking to you. You know, he's in the Discord all the time, so definitely hit him up if you want a conversation. Um, the challenge, your perspective, I definitely found myself, uh, you know, in the days since we had the conversation, definitely remolding over my thoughts on, on what I thought would get nominated and whatnot. Uh, speaking of, uh, oh yeah, and I will be linking to all of Whitney's social media, his music and all that, um, his letterbox uh, in our show notes below. Make sure you, you check that out. Uh, also in the show notes, again, just a reminder, we have a contest this year where a $25 gift card to the movie theater or streaming service of your choice is online. Um, you know, this is, uh, again, uh, the form will be in the Google, Google links. Uh, you have all the information. The form is now open uh, between now and uh, essentially when Oscar nomination day happens. So best of luck. Um, may the first person with uh, the first person with the most correct answers will win. Um, we'll see if we can, we can if anyone can actually beat Gold Derby this year. Um, but yeah, uh, to help you a little bit more, maybe with this contest, maybe if you have a Oscar pools for your office coming up, uh, if you want to do a, a, a me and a longtime friend of the show Dakota from the Contest Zoom Pod will be on next week to talk through our annual nomination predictions contest uh, predictions episode where we just go through every com- every category, look at the Gold Derby rankings, see what do we think will and will not get there. Again, those predictions uh, were recorded, I think, after the Globes, um, I think after the DGA and SAG nominations, but before the PGA nominations. Um, that will we'll, remind you of that next week. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot for listening to this episode. Uh, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know how your Death Race is going over on Twitter at OscarsDRacecast or on email OscarsDeathRacePodcast at zane.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show and your podcast host of choice, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, leave us a review, or even to stay with a friend who loves movies. Any of that's super helpful. Um, again, th- that was really in the similar along 
along with the contest, uh, alongside my letterboxed account, Ninzabori with a boy with an eye. Also, be sure to check out the Oscar Race and Oscars Death Face subreddits and the Academy of Death Facers Discord, as well as OscarsDeathFace.com. Uh, intro and that music comes from this episode it comes from Kevin McLeod in CompetentOffMusic.io. Editing and production is by Ninzabori Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. And until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. Thanks, guys. <laughs>